This is WJR's Business Biography. Now here's your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Dreaming of becoming an entrepreneur is one thing. Having the awareness to identify a good opportunity, the vision for how to get the business off the ground, and the ability to execute that vision is what makes the difference in the end between those who simply dream and those who achieve and succeed. Such is the story today of our featured entrepreneur, Derek Gaskins, and his Rochester Hills-based company known as Oliva Stores, a leading global e-commerce and consumer brand retailer selling across 15 online stores as well as online marketplaces including Amazon, Walmart, Google, and eBay. Founded in 1957, the third-generation family-owned and operated business has hit it big with its line of medical products, including prosthetics, orthotics, and medical compression garments. The company was originally founded by Joseph Gaskins as American Orthopedic Services, and his legacy today is carried on by his son Larry Gaskins and grandson Derek. From its roots in selling medical products, the company now has grown to include many other categories of consumer goods. Today, with over 150,000 products globally, 3.5 million-plus unique website visitors, and 125 employees serving thousands of customers daily. Derek Gaskin, CEO of Oliva Stores, welcome. You guys have demonstrated unique success that many entrepreneurs can only dream of. Derek, take us back to the genesis of the story and tell us about the founding of the company by your grandfather, the company that you now lead. Yeah, so Oliva Stores itself actually dates back. I mean, the story starts in 1917. My grandfather, Joseph Gaskins, grew up in a small farming community in southern Indiana. And the the city itself is literally named Farmersburg, which is pretty outstanding. He was one of 10 siblings, and at the age of three, ripe age of three in 1917, he stepped on a rusty nail. That rusty nail led to an infection in his leg, and his leg uh, ultimately was amputated. You know, fast forward 10 or so years later, and he got his first prosthetic leg, which changed his life. So his brothers, they were allowed to stop carrying him to and from school, which is what they would do back then. (laughs) I know he had a little pony at one point in time, too. So... He got his first leg, and it changed his life. And then um, when he was done with high school, he said, I want to make legs. <laughs> he, he literally wanted to dedicate his life to helping other people experience the freedom that a prosthetic leg can provide. So he went from this small farming community, Farmersburg, worked his way up to Indianapolis, where he did an apprenticeship and learned the art of prosthetics. And I remember reading an old article that he was in, and, and there was a quote that it was something like, we used to cut down the old hickory trees and we'd cut off the ends and we'd slap tar on them and we'd throw them on the lathe. And I mean, they were making, you know, I'm I'm sure we're all sitting here envisioning pirate legs. I think it was a little bit beyond that, but (laughs) bottom line, they were literally making these legs from uh, trees. So then fast forward to, I think it was probably late 1930s. He had an opportunity to come up ironically right in this area, the company called Becker Orthopedic. So it was in the 1930s that Joseph Gaskins moved his family to Michigan from Indiana to take a job making prosthetics. And it was that move to Michigan and that job that he took that put him in position to break out on his own in pursuit of the American dream. And the American Orthopedic Services Company 
was founded in 1957 in Pontiac, Michigan. He came up and started working with the Becker family as a prosthetist there, continued to kind of improve his art. And then in 1957, he spun out and started his own. Yeah, he said, I can do this. So he started a business. The first location was in Pontiac, Michigan. And so he started that in 1957, and that was called uh, American Orthopedic Services. So he ran that, continued to expand on that and build upon that. And then fast forward now to, it was probably late 1960s, my father, who was at this point in time, the director of residence for Kent State University, got a call that my grandparents had gotten in an accident. They were okay. Everything turned out fine, but it was going to be one of those scenarios where they were going to be, you know, in, in sort of a rehabilitation mode for, you know, call it, six to eight weeks. Another fateful event leads to turning over the company reins of leadership from Joseph Gaskins to son Larry at the American Orthopedic Services Company. So grandpa said, hey, you know, Larry, <laughs> can you come up and, and help keep an eye on, on the business for a little bit? So my, my father came up and started lending a hand with the business. And, and I think honestly kind of caught the bug, just like I did later on in life and got uh, heavily involved in the business at that point in time. And they continued to expand. So they went from orthotics and prosthetics and started getting into more of the traditional medical equipment and supplies. So things like wheelchairs and hospital beds and wound care supplies and whatever else you would see at a, a medical supply and equipment store. So they expanded that business and continued to grow that. Having joined his father at the company regularly as a young boy, in effect growing up in the business, it was now time for Joseph's grandson, Derek, to start thinking about formalizing his role by joining his father, Larry, at the family enterprise. In my early college years, I'm trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life. I was, you know, working in the family business. It just made sense. So helping my dad with, you know, some of the bookkeeping and some of the financial side of the business, it's sort of where I found my niche. And um, at that point in time, there was an employee who had a really nice business within the business. And it was medical compression hosiery, and these people would come in and get their socks for treating their venous disorders, and then every six months or so, they'd come back in and they'd get more of these socks, and I'm like, that's kind of interesting. So I tested the model, this was probably 2001, of literally just throwing the products on eBay and just, I don't know, let's see what happens, right? So I, I threw some of these socks on eBay and they started selling them. I go, oh, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> so we kind of over six months or so, this little eBay business really started to take off. And then um, I just sat back one day and said, I think I need to figure out how to build a website. So I just kind of dove in head first, did a ton of research and um, figured out, uh, found an open source platform solution that allowed me to kind of dive in and really build the thing from the ground up. So worked on that for probably six months. So I think 2004 now is probably the first iteration. And the very first site was foryourlegs.com. So I, if I remember correctly, that was September of 2014 when that first launched. And the only product this site was selling was the compression socks? Yeah, it's the medical compression hosiery. And to this day, that is the largest portion of our business is medical compression hosiery. And that probably constitutes close to 50% of our revenue. It's a great little niche and it's, it's a feel-good niche too. So and our employees feel good. They understand that they have a purpose, and the purpose is to help get these people who need medically necessary products at a reasonable price, get them quickly, and, you know, it's a very rewarding category that we're in. Entrepreneurs are by nature a daring bunch, and while in many ways that serves us well, in other ways it can be detrimental. You see, it's critical 
for a business to achieve one thing really well, to be known for doing one thing or selling one thing at the top of its game and as a leader in its field before moving on to expanding its offerings. Derek Gaskins and his team at Oliva Stores stuck to the script and focused on selling medical compression socks first before they expanded into other product lines. You're listening to the success story of Oliva Stores, the third generation family owned and operated business based in Rochester Hills and led by Derek Gaskins. When we come back, we'll hear how Derek guided Oliva Stores to incredible growth right here on Business Biography. Back with more in a minute. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Today, we're featuring the story of third-generation family-owned and operated Oliva Stores based in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Now with success in hand as a leader in selling medical compression socks, Derek Gaskins and his team started focusing on expansion. Always a tenuous time for a young company, and a serendipitous acquisition of a competitor landed a package of domain names in Derek's hands. And as a result of the success Oliva was having in its current category, this provided confidence they could apply their now proven business model to expand their business into other categories. A key moment in the history of Oliva Stores. At that point in time, we still had the sort of medical supply side of the business going. So we were running in two parallels. I was running this online division, so to speak, and then we still had the primary business that had the store and that traditional medical supply business. So we were running those in parallel, and then the online just kind of started consuming everything. And we literally just came to a fork in the road, and my dad and I sat down, and, you know, I obviously advocated for the online side. And, and he agreed. You know, we just said, all right, this is going to be a digital business now. So it's interesting that I'm sort of this third generation business, and I suppose this is where I'm supposed to fail. But the business itself has just transformed every step of the way. You know, like when my, even when my father came in, it went from strictly prosthetics and orthotics, and it turned into something more with the medical equipment and the medical supplies and expanded product categories and things. And, and I came in, and I guess I had my own spin on it. So it's almost a third generation first generation business, if you, if you think of it that way. Well, it's interesting. You guys continue to innovate and pivot, if you will, until you found a new, fresh opportunities that were more contemporary, more in line with the times or even ahead of the times. And in this case, you know, I think if it were early 2000s, you were ahead of the times when it came to, you know, really powerful e-commerce kind of companies. As you say, some people had offerings on eBay, but those were still the early days of online sales. Yeah, it really was. And at that point in time, it was it was basically us and, and one other primary competitor. And I was young and scrappy and hustling, and they did not like me because, you know, I think at that point in time, I was able to really operate that division on a lower, tighter, you know, profit margin than they were able to run. And long story short, fast forward about three or four years, we ended up acquiring that, that company. <laughs> yeah. So then you were the 800-pound gorilla in the space. Yeah, yeah, we really were, and we've continued to be there. There's, uh, you know, a few other competitors out there, and, you know, we all play in the sandbox well together, some good people running similar businesses as ours, but 
we've definitely emerged as the leader in the space. And that acquisition was actually, in hindsight, very serendipitous because it came along with a portfolio of domain names, of website names. And it really, at that point, helped me realize that we had built a model that could be repeated in other product categories. You know, we knew how to build the website. We knew how to drive the marketing efforts behind it. We knew all the operational elements in terms of the digital operations and the accounting and the logistical side with warehousing and shipping and all of that. You know, we really had this whole model figured out. So when we got this domain portfolio, it opened my eyes. And some of the domains were silly things like runningsocks.com and hikingsocks.com and all these sock-oriented domains. So that was really the catalyst for us to start venturing into other product categories. And that was sort of what really drove our other major site, which is socksaddict.com, which specializes in kind of like these, I don't know, I call them specialty performance socks. So socks that are very catered to activities like hiking and walking and running and, you know, whatever else. So. And that was driven because you had the domain name and you were looking for product. You knew how to do it. You had the domain name. Now you just had to find product to fill, to create inventory, if you will. Yep, that's exactly right. And you also knew how to market it. Yep. We had the pieces figured out. My bandwidth was tight. So I ended up hiring a really good friend of mine who still works with me this day. And his first job was literally, I said, go learn the sock world and find all the major players out there. And we're not talking Hanes and Fruit of the Loom. I'm talking like legit high quality socks. Let's learn that and let's figure this thing out. And uh, he ran with it. And yeah, rest is history, I suppose. So your primary product still to this day is socks of one kind or another. Yeah, it really is. We've dabbled a little bit in apparel. So we do sell brands like North Face. So we've got some pretty solid relationships. And some of that is that sort of spawned from just getting into this outdoor category. Because again, a lot of these activity specific socks are specific to outdoor activities. So that got us into this outdoor category. And then, you know, we ended up building relationships there and expanding into some of the other categories. But um, still, yeah, I'd say it's got to be two thirds of our business is socks, whether it's medical or non-medical. You're listening to WJR's Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. And today our featured story is Oliva Stores, as told by Derek Gaskins. Derek, you know, obviously, I'm sure, given the way you lead your company and your style, you're watching your analytics and your key performance metrics closely. I mean, you guys now are generating three and a half million unique website visitors every year. And so tell us about the bottom line metric of the business. What are your sales like? So we process around 1 million orders annually currently. And that's a blend. You know, we sell on our own websites. We also sell on Amazon.com and some of the other channels that exist out there. And that's interesting because beyond just selling directly from your own e-commerce site, you guys branched out to sell on marketplace platforms as well, like Amazon. And that clearly proved to be another key move at just the right time. Yeah. In fact, that was one of the big evolutions of the business in uh, 2014 or 15. I just was seeing a lot of the brands really struggling to get control of the online marketplace. You know, they'd built these great brands and then on Amazon, they just had a hard time with the product content itself, with how the product appeared on Amazon. So we started helping some of the brands that we were working with at that point in time. And that drove me to create an agency that just supports brands that agency is called Retail Bloom, and uh, we formally got that rolling around 2016. So it kind of took it from concept to reality. And today, that's actually an independent business operating on its own, standing on its own, and got a team of, I think, around 55 employees there now and growing quite rapidly. And so Retail Bloom, an agency to assist others selling on Amazon, that's an interesting space. 
How do you plan to differentiate and get traction with that business? I think what we do is unique, and I'm sure everybody that owns a business says what I do is unique, but I, I really do think we're unique in that we approach it as sellers. We've sold on these channels for so long that we approach everything as a seller. So we have that seller's mindset. So when we sit down with a brand, we take the time to really evaluate where their pain points are, and we'll build a custom program to support those pain points. And those pain points might be that they don't have the logistical setup to handle the product, to turn it, to ship it, to get it into Amazon the right way. Amazon has all sorts of rules there. So we'll help them with things like that. We'll help them with, if, you know, if the, if, if the void in their skill set is related to the content, you know, the product content, we'll help them there. If it's advertising, we'll help them there. So yeah, we evaluate the full breadth and we custom tailor a plan that works well for them. You just can't get enough, can you? You're insatiable when it comes to business. No shortage of creativity, vision, or ambition, right? I guess, yeah. You know, I, I'm learning to embrace the fact that I'm a visionary. It took me, I think I mentioned before on the show, that I'm having this epiphany lately that I, I am the visionary and I should embrace that. And I absolutely love it. And I tell everybody it's, you know, I always think of grandpa and I think of my father. And, you know, I always think of the Sir Isaac Newton quote that's, if I've seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. And that's exactly what I've been able to do. I'm very fortunate. I'm standing on you know, my grandfather's shoulders, my father's shoulders, and God gifted me with this visionary ability, but I wouldn't see as far as I see if I wasn't standing on the shoulders of my ancestors. That's so, beautiful. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is something that can be in your DNA. It can also be, and I think when it's most powerful, when you're surrounded by other entrepreneurs, you see how they operate, you learn from them, you get inspired by them whether it's a father, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a teacher, a mentor, whatever it may be, or all the above. You know, entrepreneurship is the kind of thing when you see someone else succeed, it's contagious, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It really is. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's got competition associated with it. Yeah. It's got risk associated with it. I mean, it's a thrilling thing to be part of and certainly hard to achieve success as an entrepreneur. So when you do, it's really gratifying. There's no doubt. It's the best feeling in the world. It's, it's the biggest rush ever. And I absolutely love all things entrepreneurship. I love the challenges that we face. And that makes it all the better, right? Is, you know, when you do face those challenges and, and you can just jump right in and, and affect change, it's exciting. It really is. You know, one of the cardinal rules in being successful as an entrepreneur is to have a variety of opportunities, one of which may emerge since many fail. So you, you know, dabble in various things. So you find the thing that really interests you, inspires you, and that you validated and have confidence in and so on. Another though, perhaps opposing viewpoint is that focus is critical. And so guys like you that have this appetite for the next hot business, it's both a blessing and a curse, isn't it? It absolutely is. And, uh, you know, I'm learning that. Always in a state of learning, but there's no doubt. I'm definitely the idea guy. Brought in somebody recently really to function as our, our integrator, so to speak. So we're really embracing EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system that really consists of having that visionary at the top, the crazy guy that has all the goofy ideas, and then that other person that helps keep him grounded. You know, I always operated with the mentality of just going hard, you know, pedal to the metal. And I always thought as long as I remain decisive and I'm correct, 51% of the time will be successful. But unfortunately, I've dragged a lot of people along that ride, and it's nice to have that buffer and that layer in there, there now to kind of make a little more diligent uh, decisions. Always learning, always going hard, pedal to the metal. Such is the way Derek Gaskins leads his business forward. 
You're listening to Business Biography, today featuring the amazing success story of Oliva Stores. We're headed to a quick break. Back with more in a minute right here on Business Biography. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. Today featuring the amazing success story of Oliva Stores as told by third generation family member, now the company CEO, Derek Gaskins. What do you do as an entrepreneur when you can look yourself in the mirror and know with certainty that you've made it? When there is no longer a question about whether or not you will achieve success with your company. You do more, of course. You dream bigger. At least you do if you're Derek Gaskins. Picking up our story now of Oliva Stores, as told by CEO Derek Gaskins. I think one of the things that makes entrepreneurship even more fun and dispels a little bit and mitigates the risk from being too diffused with your thinking and focus and resources and all the rest across many businesses is that once you have a success or a couple of successes and you have businesses under your belt that not only build confidence, but that drive cash, now you can experiment a little bit, you know, without it becoming draconian. If you fail, you know, you've got some latitude to experiment and be creative and try and dabble in new things and see what emerges. That's fun. Yeah. And there's no doubt. I've, I've thought of that many times. If I didn't luck out on this first one, <laughs> I don't even know where I'd be. I'd probably, in a, I'd be in a ditch somewhere, Jeff that early success is critical to fuel all these other emerging opportunities that you now have. And I can tell, I mean, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, you're not done yet. I hope not. I hope I'm just getting started. I really do. You're going to need a staff of those uh, uh, integrators, integrators that's right, right. <laughs> underneath you. Uh, right. No question about it. I can see, you know, and I can sense that uh, you've got a, just a pure love and a joy for all of this. And uh, it's got to be quite gratifying. What does the kind of future look like? Speaking of more to come, you're not done. You've got still a lot of ambition. Where do you focus that ambition today? Yeah. So again, I think with Retail Bloom and the agency side, that's a big focus. That's driving there a lot and then pushing that forward as as aggressively as I can because it's a big opportunity. But the core business, Oliva, is the baby. It's the bread and butter. It's really, and that was the catalyst for this other. So, you know, the way I look at everything is always trying to look seven years down the road and what, is the, what does it look like in seven years so that I can plan for the next one, two, and three years. Just try to keep everything on a three-year horizon, but really with the context of trying to understand what's going to happen in seven years. E-commerce itself is just, I mean, it's an ever-changing landscape. It's a daily thing. Thankfully, there's a lot of great thought leaders on LinkedIn, and I tend to follow a lot of the great people there that are publishing, you know, a lot of the, you know, whatever, the new things that are happening out there, and and I'm able to stay on top of it that way. But yeah, trying to keep a pulse on everything and, and again, planning just for the next three years. Where we're heading is, you know, I, I feel like we have this opportunity to become more of a solutions provider, not necessarily in a, a client service provider fashion, but more in a, again, we've got this model. And the other thing we have in the medical space is we've got the attention of all of these customers. So how can we better serve them is the way I'm looking at it. So what we want to start doing is really collaborating with the brands that we work with and finding more creative ways of helping that customer along their journey. So, you know, when they come to our site now, it's very transactional. We just need a pair of these medical socks. Okay, well, they might also need to learn more about their disorder. Maybe they need to consult a practitioner 
maybe they have insurance and maybe there's some insurance coverage. You know, we, we need to help guide them more than we are right now. What we do right now is we make a sale. So that's the direction we're heading is becoming kind of a, a more full service provider for the consumer themselves. But what we're seeing now is actually even contrary to all the macroeconomic things we're hearing in the news, what we're actually seeing is just a return to pre-pandemic growth numbers. So if we went back and we took a trend on, you know, like 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, and we just continued that trend line, we're falling basically right back in with that trend line. It does create a challenging time, though. I mean, you look at Amazon and they're looking at subletting or getting out of leases on a ton of their space. And, you know, we had no choice in our world but to accommodate that growth. And now we have to not slam on the brakes, but we are having to dial things back a little bit. But we're really just getting right back in line with where we probably should have been here at this point in time anyways. Yeah, and I think there's a real kind of now symbiotic relationship between brick and mortar and online, you know, in certain cases, people buy online and pick up in store, for example. That's one thing that seems to be happening a lot these days. And that way you kind of get the best of both worlds. You know, you get the immediacy of being able to pick it up today. You get the experience associated with getting out of the house, being able to drive down to a neighborhood store and interacting with somebody and then, you know, picking it up in store. But at the same time, you get some of the efficiency associated with buying it online. Certainly the most convenient, most efficient way to buy these days is to make the purchase online. But We're seeing some of that. And then, um, you know, we're also seeing stores being used more as the the brick and mortar, as showrooms, right? I mean, a way to, you know, feature product and the purchase actually happens in the reverse. It happens online and the store becomes a showroom, a way to feature product and entice buyers and, you know, create awareness and interest in the product offerings. Yeah. I mean, the stores are, that's where people are initiating a lot of their research now, right? Um, I had an interesting call with an owner of a fulfillment company, and they're leaning heavily into this model called micro-fulfillment. And I thought it was really interesting, but it's, it's basically taking that concept of what Amazon's done, but now providing that solution to people like us and to other brands as well. So setting up these locations strategically around the country that get within that, you know, I mean, some of it might be that they're delivering it within a few hours, but getting those packages turned around and delivered at the very least aligned with what people experience with Amazon Prime, right? A one to two day delivery, but now building that whole network out to provide those solutions to brands and to other smaller retailers. Because, you know, the reality is I think we're relatively large, but in the sea of e-commerce, we're actually pretty puny, right? So it's neat to see tools like that emerging to help the smaller guy. And I, and I think the evolution over time changes. I, I think, you know, the Amazons of the world potentially only get so big. And at some point in time, you know, we've all rallied around small business in a brick and mortar sense. And I just think it's inevitable that we rally around small business in a digital sense as well. Operating in challenging times, finding ways to stay ahead of the competition, always evaluating what's working and what's not and what's next. Finding ways to stay ahead of the competition, to be on the leading edge and outthinking and outworking the competition. Those are just some of the hallmarks in the success story of Oliva Stores. You're listening to Business Biography. We're headed to a quick break. Back with more in a minute. Welcome back to WJR's Business Biography with your host, Jeff Sloan. Welcome back to Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. You've been listening to Derek Gaskins tell the story of how he, his father, and his grandfather before him created Oliva Stores and have grown it to a leader in its category. And with success now well in hand, Derek gives us a view into where Oliva Stores is headed next. 
Well, and that's kind of the interesting thing. Here you are having a relationship with Amazon. And if you look at the one company that represents probably the greatest threats to anybody selling anything these days, it is Amazon. If they decide to go into your category, it's a factor. And yet, you know, on the one hand, you've got that threat and many beyond the threat. We've seen examples of categories being killed, stores being killed by Amazon, local merchants being hurt by Amazon. But then on the other hand, they offer this platform that provides access to the marketplace, all the tools you need at your fingertips to do the things you'd otherwise have to do by building a website all on your own and then driving traffic to it, which is really hard to do these days. It's a competitive playing field out there in the world of e-commerce, isn't it? It absolutely is. And as a reseller online, I certainly have my moments where I hate Amazon, but at the same time, when you really sit back and you look at the percentage of the sale that they end up taking and what they're providing for us, it's definitely a valuable service. And of course, they have to build profit margin into that. So it's expected. Could they maybe give us a little bit better, you know, fee structure? Hopefully, maybe. <laughs> I'd love to see that. But, you know, I, I totally respect what they're doing. And the reality is in terms of people going to search for products, you know, it used to be that Google was stop number one and now it's Amazon is stop number one more often than not. So a lot of the researching is beginning on, on Amazon as well. But yeah, you can't deny the tool set that's there. It's incredible and all within 20, 25 years to have built the behemoth that they have. It's really, really an unbelievable story. But that aside, what about threats to Amazon? Is it Shopify? <laughs> I love that you went there. Listen, I'm a big Shopify advocate. We've we, All of our sites are operating on the Shopify platform. And the leadership team there is definitely taking this from the David versus Goliath approach. And it's tough to not want to rally behind that, you know. Amazon has its space. You know, I, I think it's great. It's a great platform. I'm not complaining about it, but I would love to see, you know, David, you know, throw some stones and, and get in the mix here. So I, I'm definitely a believer there. And it's, you know, again, I think it's this hopeful emergence of shop small in, in the digital space. Right. I mean, small businesses really need and count on facilitating platforms like Shopify to get them into market and performing. I mean, in today's world, you can't just throw up a website and expect your business to make it let alone even get noticed. <laughs> I wish it was that easy. Um, yeah, you know, it's just the saturation in this world now makes it very challenging. So the, the barriers to entry are great. It's not quite what it was. Can it still happen? Yeah. But it's going to be difficult with where this channel's at for someone just to say, I want to sell this particular widget to really drive that. It's not something where you can go take out, you know, a little loan against your 401k and, and pull in some product from China and expect to sell and be profitable. Those days existed, you know, five years ago or so. They don't necessarily exist now. I'm not saying it can't be done, but that product has to be super unique. Like, you, you know, you've got to have a strong trademark and maybe even at this point, a really strong patented product that is that differentiated where you'll have a chance. Otherwise, you have to be prepared to spend, right? You've got to put the product out in the marketplace and you've got to write checks to Google and write checks to Amazon to drive, you know, paid clicks, right? We're driving traffic to our site and it's very, very expensive. I mean, if it's a commodity product in nature, you've got slim margins, right? Because you're competing to a degree on price, you know, if it's commodity in nature. So, you know, those are, those are, Tough things. You're absolutely right. It's hard to get into a category these days because there's very few bespoke kind of product opportunities out there anymore. And uh, as you say, if you've got a trademark and even better a patent or both at the very best, it is a tough deal these days. What would you say are key platforms that I have to consider? Should I decide to get online and have a business of my own? Is it SEO? Is it 
social media marketing? You know, what are some of the key things I can at least start with to begin to spin this up and get some attention and some traction? Unfortunately, advertising is really expensive. If I were to start over now, I would find a product that's unique and I would focus very heavily on the branding behind it and the marketing message behind it. And ideally, I'd find a product that can relate to a specific group of people. So following that customer journey is really difficult. And that's making it more expensive than ever to effectively advertise and convert. And we're seeing it even like in the venture capital space with a lot of these internet-only brands that went out and launched and they pumped a bunch of money behind it. You're listening to WJR's Business Biography. I'm your host, Jeff Sloan. And today our featured story is Oliva Stores as told by Derek Gaskins, doing business in Rochester Hills. You know, you've, you've grown to be a pretty significant business. Uh, many would call it a big business now, or a big small business. Why Rochester Hills, and how is it doing business in Rochester Hills? It's good. We like it. You know, I grew up in Lake Orion, and Oakland Township's my home now. So I, I, I love my commute. It's short and sweet. It's relaxed, no highways. So that's not necessarily why we ended up there. Really why we ended up there is, you know, the medical equipment and supply store that was still open at the time was at Huron and Telegraph Road in Pontiac. And, you know, when I just started looking at space, it was a direct shot east to Crooks and M59. So we literally just found a space that was uh, there, and it was just an easy transition geographically for us. The city itself, they've been great, have no complaints there. Their inspectors may be a little tough at times, but they're doing the right thing, so I can't complain about that. But we're, we're happy with where we're at. You said you like to look seven years down the road. What does this business look like, or your businesses look like seven years down the road? Where are you headed with this? Where's your ambition going to take you? <laughs> I wish I could answer that, Jeff. <laughs> I think it, I mean, it's, it, we just, I have to continue watching, you know, the big guys out there. Again, you know, we're relatively big in terms of the small guys, I suppose. But, you know, I have to continue watching the Googles of the world and the Amazons of the world and see what their next moves are. And that's tough. It's really tough to look out seven years and determine what those moves are. But right now, I think, you know, our, again, our focus is just adding more value to our customers and their experience on our sites. And I think in the long run, that's what plays out best. You know, the lifetime value of the customer is what's most important, especially when advertising and cost per customer acquisition is going up. We have to focus on improving the lifetime value of our customer. So right now, that's where our focus is at because I think the lines between everything will be increasingly blurred, right? It's, it's we've got our websites now and then you can go buy on Amazon. Well, I that's changing. You know, people are going to be buying wherever they're at, if that's on Instagram or if that's on Facebook or if, you know, that's in an, who knows, in an email or a widget on another site where you just buy it. I mean, these things are playing out quite rapidly. So we're just trying to make sure that we have the right foundation in place so that we're ready to pivot. Even from video soon to come. Yeah, you know, you'll exactly. You'll be buying yep. uh, product yep. everywhere. You're absolutely right. Omnipresence, I think, yep. is the uh, hallmark term these days when it comes to where you need to be. Everywhere. Everywhere. That's exactly right. <laughs> yep. So it's, it's been a wild ride. I think we've done a really good job of ensuring that this is still a family business. And having that family mentality is good. We literally are one big, happy family. Nothing short of a life-changing event in the early 1900s set Joseph Gaskins on a path to start a company to sell prosthetic legs to those in need because he knew firsthand the profound impact that getting a prosthetic leg had on his own life after losing a leg as a child. 
So transformative it was to young Joseph Gaskins that it cemented his life's direction and fueled an intense passion to achieve his business goals in order to help others in need. Joseph Gaskins went on to found the American Orthopedic Services Company in 1957 to sell orthotics and prosthetics. Then in the 1960s, his son Larry Gaskins took over the leadership role of the company and began to expand the product line beyond orthotics and prosthetics, adding a broader range of medical equipment and supplies. By Larry's side, as he worked at the company, his son Derek, who later took the lead role and today is still driving hard to make the Gaskins now third generation family owned and operated business the amazing success that it has become and the continued success that it no doubt will continue to enjoy well into the future. Today, under Derek Gaskin's watch, the company sells and ships one million units all over the world from the family-owned Rochester Hills, Michigan-based company. Congratulations to the Gaskin family, and thank you for sharing your story with us today on Business Biography. Thanks for listening to Business Biography on the great voice of the Great Lakes, 760 WJR.